good morning slash evening. Welcome to the Calories and Rice podcast, a perfectly passable China Africa podcast. I'm your host, Winslow Robertson. I will be joined by the wayfaring Dr. Nkemjika Kalu. Dr. Kalu, long time no see. Hi, Winslow. How have you been? I've been pretty good. It's summer here in D.C., but it's not too hot. So I, I oh, um, lucky you. I, I I wonder what the temperature is like in in Abuja. Uh, the best word to describe the temperature here is melting. It feels like it's always meltingly hot. Um, but the rainy season has just started, which means that we're going from really really hot to like really hot and humid and wet and horrible roads. But it's cooling off. It's not as bad as it was before. It's still just hot for me, who came from winter to this, but otherwise it's cool. Oh, well, I, I hope we can get um, an air conditioning company to sponsor this podcast and maybe set you up with a few AC units. Dear LG, I hope you're listening. <laughs> yeah, dear, dear LG, we, we are open for business. <laughs> Today's episode is brought to you by our sponsor, African Development Jobs. African Development Jobs, a site run by Nino Duro seeks to connect development workers with professional development resources and work opportunities in Africa. On a quest to help diversify development, it highlights the voices and issues of Africans and the diaspora in the field. It is also the best site for finding employment in the development field in Africa that I know of. We will delve long and deep into one of my favorite Sino-Africa topics, marriage. Today we have Miss Jenny Marsh, assistant editor, Post Magazine at South China Morning Post, to talk about her amazing article, Afro-Chinese Marriages Boom in Guangzhou, But Will It Be Till Death Do Us Part? Published in the June 1st edition of SCMP's Post Magazine, with a grant from the Vitz China Africa Reporting Project. If you have not read it yet, pause this podcast, read it, and get back to us. So anyway, this piece blew my socks off, and I wanted to get Jenny on the pod to ask her about the piece, and she graciously agreed. Marsh has a bunch of interesting articles to her name, including tracking President Barack Obama's half-brother to Shenzhen. She got an MA in online journalism at the University of Sheffield and a BA at the University of York. Jenny, welcome to the pod. Hi, thank you for having me. What are you up to after writing this magnum opus? <laughs> um, well, I'm, I'm still researching Africans in that area, actually, and I'm hoping to maybe do a few follow-up pieces, uh, but nothing too specific just yet. And could you tell us about the genesis of this piece? Why focus on marriages as opposed to the more traditional, quote-unquote, Africans in Guangzhou stories? Um, I thought the marriages were really interesting and um, I kind of noticed them when I was reading about the African presence in Guangzhou, uh, really interesting pieces about trading and uh, religion and things, but something that kept reoccurring was I would see pictures of an African person being interviewed with their Chinese wife next to them. And nothing that I read really explained, you know, the Chinese wife aspect and I was quite surprised to see so many interracial marriages. So I just wanted to, I wanted to find out, you know, how do they meet? Um, what's life like for these couples, particularly in China, where the, there is a lot of racial prejudice. And I really wanted to know what the reaction was to these interracial marriages. I, I was wondering, how, how easy was it to, um, 
to get the 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 mixed the mixed uh, interracial couple to talk about their relationship. It was a lot easier to get the men to talk about it than the women. <laughs> yeah, I mean the African men they love telling you about it and like how they proposed and they really like the romance and they consider themselves much better romances than Chinese men. They do. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. Like they tell me their proposals are better. You know, they get down on one knee in the middle of a shopping center. You know, no Chinese man will ever do that apparently. Um, so they really love talking about it. The, some of the women weren't quite as forthcoming. Um, uh, some of them were, and they were great, but Lanessa, um, Lan, who I mentioned in the piece, a researcher, was telling me a reason that some of the women might not be so forthcoming is because of the social stigma uh, in society about marrying an African man. So they might be more reluctant to talk because of that. But I did find some people that were very willing to talk. So it just took a bit of bit of digging around. Could you talk a little bit more about that stigma of, of marrying an, an African man? It, and I, I noticed a little bit in your piece... So, you know, marrying black is always marrying down. However, there's still, you know, social cachet in marrying a foreigner. And I was wondering about, uh, about the, the, the tensions. If I were a young Chinese lady, a successful African businessman is way more appealing than a, you know, useless um, foreign English teacher. As, as a formerly useless foreign English teacher myself, I'm allowed to say that. <laughs> I think it came down to two things. It was kind of social attitudes and then economic aspirations. So I think in Chinese society, broadly speaking, I think the elder generation, so the, the mums and dads of the 20-something women that are looking for husbands, they will still consider it marrying down to marry uh, an African person. And I think a lot of that's just to do with um, lack of education about black culture, and they haven't been exposed to it. So there was still lots of resistance from families. Um, not so much with people that I spoke to, because I was speaking to people that had got married. So the resistance normally comes in couples that are dating and the parents veto the marriage and say it can't go ahead. And that happens a lot. And that's because of social stigma. But often the families are really behind the marriage. And that's because of their economic aspirations are kind of bigger than their social aspirations, if you like. So... They just see that these the African traders, a lot of them, not all of them, but many of them, are really successful. They have a car. They can afford to buy a flat. Um, they can pay for a good school for the children and get the wife a really good job. So that kind of economic aspiration takes over and the family welcomed them. And lots of people told me that because many of the African men can speak Mandarin, once these husbands actually met the family and could talk to them in Chinese, that made a huge difference. And uh, the families were kind of won over at that point where they could actually directly communicate with the husband. One of the things you mentioned, and this is all related, was um, these leftover brides or leftover women. Could you define that more explicitly for our audience? Sure. Uh, leftover women is a term that's used to describe a woman in China, a single woman who's hit the age of 27, normally 27, and she hasn't got a boyfriend or she hasn't got a fiancé. And so she's kind of in a rush to get married at that point or or rather her family would want her to be married. So, yeah, I, I wondered about this. I wondered whether the women that were marrying Africans 
were mostly leftover women or women that were in a, a rush to get married. And I did find that a lot of the time the women were marrying in their late 20s. But I, I'm not sure I'd want to say that that's the most often the case because I didn't interview enough people to be able to say for definite, you know, it's leftover women who most often marry Africans. Um, but yeah, it generally was women that were in their late 20s. I, I was particularly impressed with the research you did for this article. Uh, basically, everyone I know who does this research is quoted, except for uh, Professor Heidi Haugen and, and L. Wong. So for follow-up, throw them in your article. But um, how did that research frame, frame the piece? And, and, and I, I, I want to point that out because a lot of people who do sort of Africans in China articles will sometimes talk to one of the people you, you mentioned in, in the piece, Lanessa or Professor Potomar or, or Gordon Matthews. But you, you, you really went out there, and, and I, I, I was really impressed. And also I'd want to give a shout-out to Lanessa and Professor Bodomo, who I ran into Moscow two weeks ago. So, yes. So, yeah, how did the research frame the piece, Jenny? Well, the research was so important because as a journalist, I tried to interview as many people as possible, but I wanted to make sure the sample of interviews that I ended up with was representative of the true picture. And, and so by talking to the academics and researchers, he was spent a long time embedded in the field. I was kind of able to make sure that what I was finding out matched or rung true with them. Like if, if it hadn't have matched their findings, that was fine if I knew that it was genuinely right. But I just wanted to make sure that it was, you know, that I was going to portray this community fairly. Um, and they also gave me fantastic leads. I met Roberto before I went out into Guangzhou. Uh, Roberto Castillo. Hey, of, of, oh, yeah, sorry. The, sorry. I, I wanted, yeah, you, you to introduce him, but you're doing that, and I interrupted you, so keep, keep introducing him. <laughs> um, yeah, I met Roberto Castillo of the AfricansInChina.net blog before I went to Guangzhou. He was great. He gave me loads of contacts of people that would be a good starting point and just got a broad background of this community. Um, and then Shan Shan's work, uh, which is quoted in the piece on the legal framework, that was really invaluable because that information wasn't out there in the in the Western press. That information had been mined from the Chinese press and official documents. And I can't read Chinese, so <clears throat> not yet. Access. Not yet. <laughs> not yet. So yeah, it was it was really important to speak to a wide range of voices I felt and kind of get a, a true picture. And one thing I want our listeners to, to know about, yeah, that this is probably the the best piece I've ever read by a journalist that, that sort of did Africans in, in Guangzhou in, in in years. And 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 you can really tell that she she investigated the, the legal framework and, and had a real diversity of voices. And I, I really recommend our, our listeners you know, once again, pause this podcast, read the piece, come back to the pod. Is there anything you would like to add before we, we get to our recommendations, Jenny? Yeah, kind of. I would just like to say that I only research Africans and Chinese getting married in Guangzhou. And I haven't yet been up to uh, Iwu. I think that's how you pronounce it. Um, but there's a big, big Chinese community there as well. So uh, African community, rather. So I'd really like to know if those types of um, mixed, race, mixed race marriages are also taking place or if this is kind of specific to Guangzhou. So if anybody has any insight on that, I'd love to know. 
Well, I, I imagine for that piece, you will be talking to, to Elle, who, who I think she's doing a PhD on Africans in the EU, and a lot of them, I think, are, are um, Muslim West Africans from the Sahel region. I'm going to throw it out there. The, um, the countries that these Africans are from and, and perhaps their, their religions might also influence how, how their marriages are, are going to work out. And, uh, but yeah, that, that's, I can't wait to read that piece and, and I can't wait, wait to, to read that in the future. Um, can we go to recommendations? Jenny, what should our listeners know about? The, the paper that I found really, really interesting when I was doing this and that you can't find that information or I couldn't on the internet, uh, was Shan Shan Lan's paper she's just published or sorry, a state regulation of undocumented African migrants in China, uh, a multi-scholar analysis. But it's a really, really good piece about the the legal framework and how China used Guangzhou as kind of a testing ground for the entry-exit um, legislation that came in last year. And it has good stuff about um, how the government wants the Chinese media to portray Africa in China and how it's actually quite different to what the Chinese government really think about it so the kind of the propaganda <laughs> oh I, and and that sort of stuff is really fascinating because uh, I hope as our listeners sort of know about there's a huge um, gap between what official China says about the China-Africa relationship and and sort of realities on, on the ground well sometimes there's a huge gap sometimes it's, it's not but um that's a really good point. Could you let our listeners sort of know about the new entry-exit issues facing Africans and, and what sort of visas a lot of Africans come into in, in Guangzhou? Yeah, so visas is a huge issue for them um, because they they can't get permanent residency. So they're constantly renewing either three-month, six-month, one-year I think even 30-day visas when they first arrive, and being married doesn't change that. Um, and there was a law coming in last year called the en Exit Entry Administration Law, and many Africans really hoped that was going to make things easier for them and provide a proper framework uh, for immigration, but actually it's made things a lot harder. And so now to renew your visa, before you could just cross the border into Hong Kong or Macau and then come back, but now an African man must return to his home nation and reapply from his home country and then return to China for his new visa. Ooh. So that's a lot more expensive and, you know, impractical. Ooh. Yeah, that yeah. that that is not not that 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 convenient. Oh man. Well, th thank you so much for for that recommendation and, and, and we'll be sure to put it up on, on the web. Uh, before we sign off, Jenny, how do people find you on the interwebs? Do you have a website or Twitter account that you'd like to share with us? I do. I do tweet. My Twitter handle is Jen, J-E-N-N, one, Marsh. What's the deal with the one? Why can't it be an I? <laughs> that was already taken. And I figured that the one, people would read it as Jenny Marsh. But people tend to just think my name is Jen. Uh, so it hasn't worked out quite as well as I hoped. But <laughs> oh, Wait, are you a Jen, a Jennifer, or Jenny? I'm a Jennifer, but okay. I, I'm only when I'm in trouble, really. So, <laughs> but Let's hope this podcast never comes to that. <laughs> okay, f fantastic. 
and um, and yes, she 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 is active on Twitter and, and a really enjoyable Twitter account. And she's got an adorable picture of I imagine herself as a as a younger child, as as the image. But yes, I highly recommend your Twitter account, Jenny. Dr. Kalu, what about you? How do people find you on the interwebs? I tweet at nkemi Kalu and um, blog at nkemkalu. No, wait, wordpress.com forward slash nkemkalu. Is that right? I'm sorry, I never. I, I actually don't have it up right now. We're going to, we're, I'm just, yes, we're going to say that's right for now. And then I'll, 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 I'll blogspot.com yes. when, when I blog, which has been infrequent. I'm sure you'll turn that around soon as, as you get tapped by the new finance minister to help sort out Nigeria's uh, economic problems. Yeah, that sounds about right. And, and when you get, you know, a multi-million dollar Chinese contract, you know who should be running your podcast, me. We're all set once that happens. We're all set once that happens. <laughs> Cowries and Rice will have finally made it. As for myself, I can be found on uh, cowriesrice.blogspot.com along with Dr. Kalu, and we have we, we're expanding. We um, we have Miss Tasha Coleman who, who's starting to write pieces for us. We had somebody translate a, a really good uh, a really good lecture in Mandarin into English for us, Mr. Jess Wilhelm. So we are we are making moves. As for my own personal Twitter account, it's at Winslow underscore R. And uh, a lot of my stuff is China Africa news. Although as the World Cup gets in the gear, I'm probably going to be tweeting a, a lot about about that. Um, and I'm not going to talk about who my favorite team is. But yeah, and also if anybody w wants to sponsor us from the World Cup, you know, your Coca Cola, your Sony, your McDonald's, we we are taking sponsorships. Take three tips to Brazil. <laughs> yes, or if FIFA themselves wants to sponsor us, we we are we, we can we are easy to work with. That's about it for, for part one of today's episode. We would like to thank Jenny for joining us this evening from Hong Kong, as well as African Development Jobs. This podcast can be found on SoundCloud, Stitcher, and iTunes. We've applied to put it up on the BlackBerry Network, and we are in the middle of trying to put this up on Chinese iTunes. But if you have any other recommendations for where we should post it, let us know, and we'll figure out how to get it up. Uh, we hope to reach more media platforms in the future. We would also like to thank Mighty Mike and Pulse Recordings for composing the theme song. And thank you, dear listener, for giving us your time. Take care.